Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Timothy Reeder with NP Dodge Real Estate in Omaha, Nebraska. In the first nine months of this year, he's personally sold 115 homes worth $20 million, while his team has sold 340 homes worth $51 million. His average sales price was 176000 of which 25% were buyers and 75% were sellers. He has an 18-member team, 11 full-time agents, 6 administrative staff, and 1 team leader. Tim Reeder is the team leader of the Good Life Group. He's been an agent for 17 years. In this call, Timothy talks about how he personally sells over 100 homes per year by focusing on referrals, his simple yet effective referral marketing plan, why big databases are distracting, expensive, and often fail, how a small list of 300 people resulted in 103 referral closings in one year, the simple referral script that gets results, what to say when you call your people, fresh new ideas, how to throw a huge client party for free, an in-depth discussion of the three elements of a successful referral campaign, calls, notes, and Popeyes, how he reduced his database from 1,200 to 300 people overnight, why he picked old historic homes as his niche, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Timothy. Hello. Thanks. Hey, Tim, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. (laughs) Nothing. I got into real estate right out of college. Why did you decide to go straight into real estate? My partner pushed me uh, into real estate. Uh, He thought that uh, real estate would be a good way of making money. but But when he pushed me into real estate, he was pushing me into real estate to be an investor. And so I, I started off in the 90s, and I, I bought the, the infomercial Carlton Sheets, where it was how to buy and sell property on land contract with no money down. And it, it was a lot of kind of unusual ways of buying real estate. So I bought that, that class, if you will. I had it for 24 hours, and I realized it was kind of a joke. It was, it was not the kind of real estate that I wanted to do. So I returned it. And um, I thought, well, if I'm going to buy real estate, I'm going to do it the correct way. And uh, so I got my real estate license because I wanted to know how the whole process worked. It wasn't until I got my license that I realized that, hey, maybe this would be a good industry. And the reality is um, real estate investing was not for me. I, I didn't like it. I, I, I Now I only own one rental property. The real estate sales fit my personality really well. So, so I was kind of pushed into it uh, reluctantly, and it turned out to be a phenomenal career choice for, my, for me. 
And how long have you been in real estate now? 17, eight, 17 years. Uh, 1998 is when I became licensed. Going back to that first year when you first got started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I would just say a medium start. I started out working for a small company here in the Omaha area because they offered me a job. When I was buying rental properties, I was buying one through them, and I said, hey, I'm getting my real estate license. And they said, hey, why don't you come work here? I didn't realize that you could go anywhere. And so I was excited that they offered me a job. So I, I went there, and uh, it, was, it was a really great decision because it was a small, old real estate company, and I learned how to do the job the old-fashioned way. So when I got into the business, I learned how to do my own closings. I learned how to order my own title policy, balance my own HUDs, do title searches. Um, I, I learned all the, the things that nowadays we don't do. We hire it all out. It was a good way to start my real estate career. And then as I got more successful, I switched to the bigger companies. But I just kept a close relationship with those people that I was with at the smaller company. So you learned all the basic in and outs, how the transaction occurs. Did you also learn the sell side of the business right away from the smaller company? Did they teach you the old-fashioned way of sales? No, no, um, not really. I mean, they were great people, and I still respect them, um, but they really just taught me the transactions, how to do the paperwork and how to do the, the business. How to get the clients took me a while. Um, at first, I, I, I guess I should also say, when I got into real estate in Omaha, I was not from Omaha, so I didn't know anybody here, nobody. It was a strange city and a strange career, and I was starting from scratch. So um, that company taught me how to do the transaction, but how to get clients, I didn't know. So I ran ads in the paper. I ran ads in the penny, the penny section where you could just say, I've got five houses for sale in this neighborhood. I did all sorts of experimental stuff to get the clients. It wasn't until later in my career that I discovered Brian Buffini, uh, which I'm a huge Brian Buffini follower, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Once I started following Brian Buffini's systems, that's when my career exploded. Last year, how many transactions did you close? About 75 homes and $12 million in production. So it was, it was good, but 2015 has been better. Just to clarify, last year with the 75, was that you and your production or was that you and your team? Again, that would be just me and my production. My team did closer to $40 million. How many transactions did your team close last year? I think it was right around 250 sales. This year, your year-to-date, you're about, oh, nine and a half months into the year. And what's your year-to-date production for you personally? So far, I'm sitting at $20 million in production and about 115 sales. And your team, your, your larger team, what's their production? We're sitting about 340 sales with $51 million. Just for clarity, we're going to get into the team details in a minute, but how many people are on the team? I have 18 people on the team. Uh, 12 of them are full-time licensed uh, realtors, and the rest are either part-timers or staff. The bulk of the production of the team is done by the top six. When you say 340 closings this year, year-to-date, does that include your 115? Yes, it does. Tell everyone, where is Omaha, Nebraska? Right in the center of the country. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're right, right along the Missouri River, right in the center, uh, about six hours west of uh, Chicago. 
Do you know what the population is there in Omaha? Our metro area is about 800,000. Describe your current real estate market. We're trending up. We, we always have been. The Omaha area never uh, crashed like the rest of the country did in 2008-2009. Uh, we always stayed somewhat slow and steady. Our average home sells about 180000 Our average time on the market is about 32 days. And the average home sells for 98% of the asking price. Are you selling homes all throughout the Omaha area, or are you specializing in a certain market or a niche? I do sell throughout the entire Omaha metro area. However, I also have a niche. My niche is old and historic homes. I specialize in the older, the better. What percentage of your business is the old and historic? I would say about 90%. 90%. Please describe that to us. When you say old and historic, what would a typical home look like? Well. There is nothing typical about old because um, our city was founded in 1855. And um, so we we don't really have any houses around that are that old, but um, we have houses that were, um, I I think the majority of the homes that are still standing uh, are 1890, which is my my own home was built in 1890. I would say 1890 or newer. When I was new and I decided to specialize in old and historic homes, I was really focusing on Victorian homes, uh, homes that were built uh, between the 1890 to 1910, which is our area, and then maybe a little bit of you know craftsman homes, uh, Tudor revivals, things like that. So that was my specialty. However, as time has progressed, mid-century has become so popular that that is also one of my specialties as well. So if it's built, I would say, any time before 1970, it's going to be in my niche. Why did you decide to work that part of the market? It was because I bought a, a condemned Victorian house, and it interested me so much. And I was, I was learning how to fix up my house and to rehab my house and how, how this, it was, I was, it was a first time home buyer myself. So I was learning how, how old houses tick. And then I just thought, you know, maybe this should become my specialty. And, 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 you know, being centered, I was in the middle of the old part of town. I was starting to rub elbows with people that lived in older homes. So it just naturally started to happen. And then I chose to run with it. And so I am the, the only realtor in Omaha that specifically specializes in old homes. So it was a niche that worked well for me, and um, I'm glad I did it. The old homes, this old neighborhood, a lot of metropolitan areas, they'll have these older home areas, and a couple things are happening. They're, they're either remodeling and rehabbing the home, or they're tearing down the home and putting up new properties. What are you seeing in your area? The same. Same. And, you know, being an old house specialist, um, you would think that I would be a, what they call a purist in the meaning um, I want people that are purists want you to keep the old house, keep the structures, save them and preserve them and, you know, like a time capsule. And I'm not that way. I think that we do have special homes that um, require special attention. We have old house museums. We have homes that are restored and absolute. My, my house is a Victorian home and it's, it's stunning. I mean, we, we've really restored it and it's beautiful. However, we as a society still have to move forward. And unfortunately, these houses, not all the houses are going to last forever. Even though these, these houses are built well, they're not going to last forever. So when we, ha- when we see old homes that are in rougher condition getting torn down and the area is getting redeveloped, 
I'm, I'm all for that. I think that it, it's progress, and we're save, we, we can't save all of them. We just need to save some of them. And so I'm okay with them moving forward. But, yeah, I'm sorry, that's not what you asked. But the truth is is that we have everything you just described. We have neighborhoods that are gentrifying, and we also have neighborhoods that are being redeveloped. We have it all. Have you focused just on the brokerage side, the sell side of these properties, or have you also moved into the development side where you're either participating with a developer or you're, you've become a developer yourself where you do the scrape off and you start new? Strictly sells. Financially, I, I can do, I make more money in the long run just focusing on sales, but I find I have a better impact when I focus on sales. I started dabbling in remodeling and, and restoring, and, and it take, it, it, it's consuming. It takes all my time, my resources, and my energy. So I just assume, focus my energy on selling houses, running the team, and acting more as a consultant for those that are looking to do some redeveloping of their own. Because you're working in this older neighborhood, do you run into the issue where the government or entities have come in and they've claimed that a property is a historic property, a a historic landmark, and therefore there are certain restrictions on it? Have you run into that, and how do you deal with it? We don't have to deal with that very much here. I actually have a home right now that's listed on the National Register of Historic Home Places. The restrictions in our area are not that incredible. You can pretty much do anything you want on the inside. The outside, just, you just need to preserve it. We don't find that the government interferes in a negative way with our historic structures. Let's talk about how you're generating your business. You have 115 closings already this year, and that's mainly your own individual production, you and one buyer agent. How are you generating those leads? How are they coming into you? I work by referral. My focus, my energy, and my time, my money, my resources on working by referral. Um, again, I mentioned that we do the Brian Buffini system. We make love on our clients and our contacts. We do calls, notes, and pop. I say we because this is my team's system, and I just happen to be the most productive a- agent on the team. But we work very hard and aggressively to make sure that we are the authority and the person that, uh, that we want the people we know to come to when they need any real estate advice. And on the same token, if they need a plumber or a handyman or, or whatever, we want them to come to us. And we've done a very, very good job of, of staying in touch with our clients and making sure that we're there for them. It's a philosophy and it's a style of real estate. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I went on a listing appointment, and when I left, I talked the guy out of selling the house. He turns out he just came into a bunch of money. He was contemplating, he loves his home. I mean, he's not sure he wants to sell it. He was considering maybe just holding on to it, renting it, and buying another house. And then, you know, because he was kind of emotionally attached to this home. And I, I said, do it. You know, you're not, you don't need to sell. Keep the home. And um, he hugged me. I didn't even know the guy. He hugged me. He just assumed that everybody was going to be telling him to sell it. He didn't really want to sell it. And um, I find, we find, when you do what's right for the client and you put their interests first, it always comes back to you. And then, then, and it, then it, it permeates into, into the rest of your business. People know you. People like you. People trust you because they know that you're not just going to talk them into selling their house. You do what's right, and it always comes back to you. Let's dig into your buy referral system. First of all, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? It's less than 300. How did you put together that list? Well, I started off 
years ago of everybody I knew. Now that list is everybody I like. It's the people that I know. They know me. Every person that's on my list is a phone number in my phone. It's somebody I know, somebody I sold a house to, it's somebody we had a good relationship with, and it's somebody I want to develop a, a continue to develop a relationship with. Just because I help you buy or sell a home does not mean you're going to go on my mailing list. I don't have time for a mailing list of 2,000. I only have a time for a mailing list of people I can stay in touch with. If you don't know me personally, you're not on my list. Is every one of the 300 people, are they all past clients? No. Lots of them I've never sold a house to or for. It also sounds like you remove people from your list over time to keep it small. How do you make that determination about who's going to be taken off the list? If I haven't talked to you or spoken to you in a year, you're not going to be on my list. And that's my responsibility, not the person's responsibility. But, you know, the, the, my list is not a list of people I know. My list is a list of relationships. If I wanted to make a list of people I know, then the list would be in the thousands. And again, I, I don't I don't have time or energy to, or resources to be staying in touch with thousands of people. I only can focus my energy on a certain number. I think that's what a lot of agents get into the business thinking every time they meet somebody, they're going to put them on their list. It's daunting and it's overwhelming. And, and the reality is it's not necessary. There are certainly two schools of thought, keeping your list small and narrow, and as you just mentioned, on a, a strong relationship, or building it up with everyone you've met. And there's two schools of thought. You're going with the small list. And so that's why I want to dig into it, because a lot of people, a lot of agents have a hard time doing that. You said you know 2,000 people. How do you reduce it from 2,000 to 300? It sounds like it's because you like these people. And so it's just kind of a gut thing. You would like to do business with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had a closing yesterday and everything was perfectly fine, but when it was all said and done, that seller's not going on my list. We, we, didn't, we didn't run in the same circles. We don't have friends in common. They were referral, but I just, I could tell that we're just in different places in life. We're different kinds of people. I did my job. Everything went great. We exchanged pleasantries and the, and the relationship's over. Just because I sold them a house doesn't mean that I'm going to stay in touch with them. And I know that sounds weird. It sounds weird. I wouldn't say if I don't like you because I think it's an unfair to say. If I don't feel like a strong relationship connection at the end of that transaction, then I consider it to have been a transaction. But I'm going for relationships. If the, if, if the transaction is done and I feel like we did a great job and we have a great relationship, then they go on my list. Would you consider all 300 people on this list your friends? Yes. Fr no, friends, family. There's family on there. But yeah, or clients that we had such a good relationship that I considered them to be client friends. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I would not call it a list of friends, no. You started off like everyone else. You created a list of everyone you know, and it's morphed and changed over the years into this a list of very close relationships, people that you feel you can do business with and, and will be a strong relationship. Do you put people on the list only if you think they're going to refer business to you? That's a very good question. Yes and no. I do focus my energy on making sure they know that I work by referral and, the, the, and this is part of how I, my mantra, you know, I'm never too busy for your referrals and we do calls and notes and Popeyes. We always talk about referrals. So at the end of the day, yes, I want them to be referring me, but 
if they don't refer me, it's, I think that they either are either have referred me or are going to refer me. If I determine that eventually nothing real estate related is going to come out of this relationship, then I will take them off the list. But so yes, ultimately I'm looking for referrals, but I'm not going to use that as my only gauge for whether or not you're on my list. There must have been a transition in thought between the before of, hey, I'm just going to put everybody on my list to now I'm going to be super selective. Did that happen overnight or did that happen over time? Overnight. It was being coached. I'm professionally coached. And my coach was telling me, Tim, your list is too big. Because my list used to be big. I mean, at one time it was, I don't remember an exact number, but it was well over a thousand. And my coach said to me, Tim, you can't stay in touch with these people. You just can't. And, and she said, you know, you can make a mailing list and you can mail to them every quarter. But at that point, what's the point? And, and she really honed in on me. She goes, if you're not staying in touch with the people and if you're not, if you don't have a relationship with these people, then why, are they, then why do you have a mailing list? So it was an overnight thing. She, it was an aha moment. And I cut my list from, it was say 1,200 or whatever, down to, at the time, this happened years ago, when I did that at the time, I cut it down to like 200. It might have even been a little less, but I mean, I cut it way back and she was spot on because then all of a sudden, instead of trying to focus my energy on all these 1200 people or whatever that number was, I just focused on these 200 people and I was a lot more productive and a lot more genuine in my reaching out to those clients. When I reached out to them, I had more time for them. I had more energy for them and, and I, I, it, was, it was a smarter decision to tone it down to the 200. That must have been gut-wrenching for you to eliminate so many people off your list. And if agents are listening now and they're thinking about doing that, what advice would you give them about how they would go about pairing that list? Listening to what I just said, and that is, is, is really thinking about who these people are and do I have a relationship with them? If I don't have a relationship with them, why are they going to refer me? Or why am I going to, why am I going to do this? Now, you can have a mailing list. That's fine. I find mailing lists don't, they don't I don't get out of a mailing list what I want. I, I don't find a mailing list to be, to be rewarding. I don't want to just have a list of people I mail a newsletter to. I want to have a list of relationships, people that, that know me, like me, and trust me, and that I... I I want to know that if Diane Gill is out in the world and she hears somebody talk about real estate, I know Diane is going to say, hey, my son-in-law is in real estate. You know, let me give you his card. I know, I know and I can trust that she is a walking, talking billboard, an advocate for me. And so, again, I focus my energy on her. So if you can't focus your energy and if you, if these people, if you don't know that these people are going to refer you, then don't do it. And I think the smaller the list, the better. I want to step back just for a second. Cause I'm sure some people are going to be wondering, have you ever taken the disc personality profile? Yes, but it's been a long time. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Do you don't recall what you are? I'm not a high D. I remember that. I've done it. I just don't remember what I am. Oh, that's okay. You've got this list of 300 people. Where do you keep that list? Where is your database maintained? At the moment, it's just a Google spreadsheet, a Google Doc spreadsheet. And I do that because that way I can print it out 
and I can carry it with me and I can make notes on it and then I hand it to my assistant and she will update the list. So so if I make a phone call to such to somebody, I'll make a little note on this piece of paper and after this piece of paper is completely covered with notes, I hand it to my assistant, she uploads those notes to the to the Google Drive. When you say upload, does she scan them in and just attach them? No, I'm sorry. She just types in my notes. Types in your notes. So they're all in there in that spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a spreadsheet. All I use is a very, a very basic spreadsheet. I, you know, the funny thing is I'm, I'm, I'm extremely techie. I love my iPad. Um, I run a real estate office and we're all Mac. I'm really, really into this. But when it comes to real estate, I am very bare bones. I don't do a lot of, a lot of technology stuff. I don't do fancy listing presentations. I don't bring a computer. I don't bring a laptop and an iPad, anything. My, com- my listing appointments are 100% conversation. It's just me talking with maybe some paper. I find a lot of the technology that has helped real estate has also slowed me down. And so I stick to the basics and I just use a spreadsheet with my database. On that spreadsheet, what type of information are you tracking? I assume their name, their address, their phone number, email address. What else is on that spreadsheet? It's a checklist. Uh, it'll be the, uh, the last time that I spoke with them, the last time that I left a voicemail for them, the last time I saw them face-to-face, the last time. I just, I, I just put in dates. I have a, a category like voicemail, face-to-face, met them at a party, whatever, and I put a date in there. So that's primarily what that is. And then there's a section with a note. So if I um, talk to, again, Diane, and she says something about her daughter going off to college, then I'm going to make a note of that so that the next time I talk to her, I'll remember what we were talking about the last time we spoke. Let's get into the details of how you're staying in front of the people on your, in your database, your list, how you're building these relationships. But you mentioned earlier, and I'm sorry I didn't catch everything, you said calls something and pop buys. What are you doing to stay in touch with these people? Let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the Brian Buffini systems? I have not taken the, the Brian Buffini system course. Okay. What I talk about and what I walk around and... I am a walking, talking billboard for Brian Buffini. I think that their systems are phenomenal. Um, And I don't get paid to do that. I just really think they're excellent. I'm coached by that company every two weeks. I follow their systems. Their systems are staying in close contact with your client, your database, and calls, notes, and pop buys. So I have my, let's just say it's 300 people. I don't remember. I don't know the exact number. Of my 300 people, I am going to speak with them multiple times a year. I'm going to speak with them at least every quarter. I'm going to pop by their house with some item of value, whether it be a little trinket of some sort, every single quarter. They're going to get personal notes from me. And those people do get my my newsletters. So I do do newsletters. But all of those things I just said, they're going to get at least quarterly. Every, and I say quarterly, we go by the season. So now we're in the fall season, and so we're doing all of our fall stuff. My pop buys um, are lawn bags, and I, I have an assistant that prepares little lawn bags for us. She ties little uh, strings around them, has my business card attached, and it's got um, a little note that says something cute about uh, working by referral and the leaves. I don't even remember what it says. Something about 
something cute about the leaves in the bag or something. I don't know. It's just some, it's cutesy is what it is. And I pop by and I say hi and I give the little gifts to the, to the homeowner or my client. And uh, it just keeps me fresh and in front of them on a regular basis. And we do that every quarter. But then we do other things. We have um, major client appreciation parties once a year. The last one we had was just two weeks ago. It was a pirate theme. We have a, a huge party with lots of food and drinks, and we give away trips to different places around the world. We've done that for years. This one we sent, we gave away two trips to the Caribbean. We do uh, pie giveaways in the, for Thanksgiving. So like right now, we're already sending out a survey to all of our clients to see who wants a pie. And then a couple days before Thanksgiving, they come into our office and they pick up a pie for free. So it's just things like that that we do on a regular basis, just staying in touch with them and making sure that we stay in front of our, the people we know. You said that you speak with them multiple times a year. Did you say that those are calls? You make actual phone calls, or are you talking about just any time you bump into them? No. Uh, uh, well, of course, if I bump into them in the grocery store, I'm going to make a note of it. But it's going to be scheduled. I break down my, my list, so let's say 300 people, and I'm going to call them once a quarter. So I'm going to break that list up by a month. So I have to call 100 of those 300 people in one month. So I have a month to call 100 people and just touch base with them. Say, hi, how are you doing? I usually have a, have a point that I want to make. Like if I have a plumber that I'm recommending right now, I'll say, hey, I just, I just developed a relationship with this plumber. I think he does a great job. If you need, if you need somebody, let me know. So it's just, I always, I, I don't have a problem. I don't have issues finding reasons to call people. And they also don't dodge my phone calls either because they know me. They know I'm not calling asking for business. They know I'm calling just to say hi or giving them some value, some item of value. So I call 100 people a month just to say hi. When you said 300, it sounds like a lot, but when you start breaking it down, it's not too bad. It's 100 a month, and if you have 20 days in a month, you're talking about five calls a day? It's nothing. That's nothing. That's not that hard. That's really not that hard. How long does that take you? I spend an hour to an hour and a half per day with my proactive activities, and that's where I make the calls. But those proactive activities, if, if, if I either make phone calls or I do the pop buys I was talking about, or we do personal notes where we just you know, hand write a little note that says, hey, it was great to talk to you, you, you look great, or you know, I saw you in the grocery store, whatever. So we send them a personal note, a phone call, and a pop by every quarter. You said you, you never run out of ideas of what to talk about, and they're not going to dodge you because you have items of value. You said one example was you make a recommendation for a plumber. Give us some more examples of items of value that you would have when you call up the folks and, and you're chatting with them. What reason do you have to call them? Give us some examples so people will have them. It's so easy. There's, there's always a reason. I hear people say all the time, oh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I have nothing to say. It's so easy. The best thing to do is to, to offer them something, to be able to say, hey, I've got a plumber, or I've got a handyman, or I've got a tax preparer. I mean, th those are some of the best ways to, to reach out to those people. But in addition to that, um, it could be just wishing them, you know, happy Thanksgiving or wishing them a Merry Christmas or telling them about the pumpkin patch that's coming up or, you know, just, I can come up with excuses all day long to call people and it's easy. There's always some reason to call people just to, I guess now, now I'm drawing a blank, but I usually don't, <laughs> you know, we, we, 
but we have we have parties. So you, I often call people to tell them about the parties, or we have, uh, or like I said, holidays. There's always some reason to call. There's always just some little excuse to make a phone call. And by the way, if I'm going to call and promote a plumber or a vendor of some sort, I'm going to make sure that vendor knows I'm doing it, and I'm going to keep in touch with that vendor. I'm going to say, hey, I called. 100 people this month, and I told them all about you. And uh, that's a source of business as well, because I want that vendor to referring me just like I'm referring them. And they do. We deduce that you make five calls a day. Is that five calls or five contacts? Do you count it if you leave a voicemail, or do you have to actually speak with someone? I do count it if I leave a voicemail, but I I would prefer to speak with them. Um, but the voicemail counts. As long as I weaved in something about working by referral. If I said, oh, by the way, I'm never too busy for any of your referrals, or if I somehow mentioned a referral that I have to them. The word referral is ingrained in our verbiage and how we speak to our clients. So as long as I said the word referral somehow, then I'm going to, even if it's in a voicemail, then I'm going to count that as a call. Tim, would you mind doing this with me? Would you mind doing just a quick role play so people can hear how that conversation goes? You call me up and just whatever you want to talk about, your pie giveaway or anything, and just so they can kind of hear how that conversation flows. Would that be okay with you? Sure. I'm not very good at this, but I can do it. <laughs> I can try. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we do that, then let me ask you, do you write out your script before you call or do you just kind of have the idea in your head and you go? I just usually have the idea in my head and I go. But keep in mind, these are people I know. These are not cold calls. These are not, these are not strangers. These are people I already know. So it's, it's almost like you know, calling up and saying, hey, Mike, how are you doing? How's the, how are the kids? You know, or, and sometimes I'll even say, hey, the last time I spoke to you, you were talking about your daughter was going off to college. How's that going? Just, I'm just touching base with you. I'm just hoping you're doing really well. Um, you know, by the way, I have a new plumber I just started using. If you, need a, if you need a plumber, this guy is phenomenal. His prices are great. Just let me know, and I'll give you his name and phone number. By the way, I don't usually give people the name and the phone number right there on the spot for the vendor I'm calling because I want them to call me again. I want them to call me and say, hey, what was the name of that plumber? And then I give it to them. So I, I, wanna op- I want communication. I want to go back and forth on a regular basis. So um, anyway, and then at the end of the call, I'll just say, oh, by the way, I'm never too busy for any of your referrals. Or depending on how slow I am, if I'm not very busy, I'll say, by the way, um, I could use your help. I'm not very busy right now. Now, if you know anybody looking to buy or sell, I'd really appreciate it if you would think of me. And uh, they always do. They always do. It takes an average of 10 phone calls to get one referral. And it takes an average of five referrals to get one closing. So I know that if I make 50 phone calls, I'm going to quit one house sold. So it's not that hard. So 10 calls, you're going to find one referral. And out of five referrals, you're going to get one closing? Mm-hmm. And so 50 calls is going to equal one closing? Yep. And those are the stats that have been playing out for you for a long time, it sounds like. You've been able to base your business on that. Yep. Yep. I do a lot more business than that. But those are the numbers that I've been able to predict, and that has also helped help through Buffini and Company. I haven't done my specific numbers in a while, but I would bet if I had time, and I, I don't care. I have a good system in place. I don't have to worry about the details. But I bet you my capture rate is actually probably higher than the average because I'm doing so much business, and I'm just making those five phone calls a day. It's really interesting to me when you said that if things are slow and you really need some business, you added the words, I need your help, 
I need your help. And that seems to be the extra that sounds like it's resulting in a lot of additional referrals or a lot of help from your friends. They're going to start looking out for you and be maybe a little more receptive, notice things more, and tune you into additional business. Yes. So I I don't say I need your help. I say I could use your help. And and it may be silly, but I find that to be the distinct difference for how I I like to speak. But again, I could use your help. If you know anybody looking to buy or sell, I'd I'd really appreciate you thinking of me. Um, I'm not asking them, who do you know looking to buy or sell? I'm just saying, if you know anybody. It's an easy conversation. I don't feel uncomfortable saying it because I'm not specifically saying, who do you know? Who do you know? I'm just comfortably saying, if you know anybody. But also, I did something wrong just now. I usually don't say buy or sell. I usually am specific. And I'll usually say, if you know anybody looking to sell, I'd really appreciate it if you could think of me. Because I find the more specific I am, the more likely they're going to refer me. Now, I might say, if you know anybody looking to sell, and once in a while, they'll come back to me and I'll say, well, I don't know anybody looking to sell, but hey, I know somebody looking to buy. And I'm like, oh, great, blah, blah, blah. But when I'm specific in saying, do you know anybody looking to sell, it makes their mind turn. If you just say looking for somebody to buy and buy or sell, they're thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. But if you say, if you know anybody looking to sell, then it makes them just start, they start to think about it. Who do I know looking to sell? Something else we do, which is very, very, very important, is whenever I start working with a client, whether it's a buyer or a seller, I tell them all about how we work by referral, and I'm going to do such a good job for you that, that, I, that, you're going to want to, that I hope that you're going to want to refer me to your friends and family and other people you know. But also, between now and the time that we close on your home, my goal is that you will have referred me to clients. And I put a number on it because when you put a number on it, then it it gives them something to work towards. And whenever I say that, they always come up with two or more referrals because I was specific. When do you do that? You do that right when you meet them the first time or while you're working with them during the transaction? Usually about the second or third time, not the first. At the first, it's always easygoing. You know, we're friends. We're getting to know each other. It's usually the second or third time. However, if I do do a buyer's presentation, which I try to do, whenever I pick up a new buyer, if possible, I try to have an hour-long sit-down where we go over the entire process, whether they're a first-time home buyer or not. I talk to them about the statistics in the area, what the inventory is like, how it's going to work. I walk them through the entire process. I find when I do that at the beginning of a buyer relationship, the relationship goes better, it goes smoother, and I find I show them less houses, by the way. Um, But when I am able to do a buyer's presentation, I will bring up the working buyer referral, and my hope is they'll refer me twice, but for now, the time we close on a house, and I bring that up on the initial meeting. But that's the only time I do it on the initial meeting. Going back to that verbiage, you don't say, I need your help. You said, I can use your help. It moves away from desperation. Is that why you don't want to use the word need? Yeah. Yeah. Because the reality is I'm a very successful realtor. I don't need anything. (laughs) I'm already doing very well. And they know it. So I would rather to say, hey, I could use your help. It's almost like asking for a favor, but it's not sounding like I'm desperate. It also just rolls off my tongue. It rolls off my tongue better. Hey, I could use your help. If you know anybody looking to sell their house, I'd really appreciate it if you would think of me. It rolls off my tongue better. So you've experimented with different language and you found something that felt good to you so it'd be comfortable for you to ask. Right. And that which actually 
Actually, that's a valid point, too. And I always say that, you know, the one thing about this career is that there's no right or wrong way to do it. Everybody does things in their own way. And I like that. And I have, I tell the agents, the new agents on my team, you got to experiment with how you ask questions, how you communicate, and then listen to listen and pay attention to the response you get, and then run with that. If you if you find that you ask for referrals in a certain way that tends to get a higher um, a number of referrals, remember that, pay attention to that, and then play on that. So how we talk to our our clients, I, it, it's critical. I, I would actually say one of my my strongest abilities as a realtor is how I communicate to my clients. There are certainly better realtors out there. There's smarter realtors out there. Um, but I just, I, I paid attention. I'm paying attention to my clients, how they're responding to me and becoming a better realtor because of it. When you say how you're communicating, you're not so much focused on the, the word and that'll come in, but it sounds to me like you're more focused on the communication with the other person to make sure that they're getting it, their reaction. You're more connecting with them and the words are just kind of coming out to make sure that connection occurs and that you're hearing exactly what they're saying and vice versa. Yes. Yes. And this isn't what we're talking about, but I'll, to further what I'm saying, I'll explain. When I go on a listing appointment, when I list a home, which again is the majority of my business, I very clearly tell my clients my number one goal is not to sell your house. And I know that sounds counterproductive. My number one goal, you're the one selling the house. You're the one putting it on the market. You're the one that has given me this product to market. You're the one selling the property. My job is to get it out there, get it on the market, make sure that it's in front of as many people as we possibly can and to make sure that you're happy. My goal is to make sure you, the seller, feel that your home is being marketed as best as it possibly can. It's going to sell itself, hopefully. And then my job number two is to sell the house. But my job number one is to make you feel. We're, we're a service. You know, we, They're paying me to market their home and to get it out there. And my goal is to get it out there as best as I can and make sure that they feel that it's being marketed as best as they can. And I listen to them. And there's nothing better than if I have a seller where the listing doesn't sell and it expires and we choose not to relist it for whatever reason is getting a referral from that, from that seller. When that seller says, Tim Reeder had a hard time. He couldn't get it sold, but man, he's a great realtor. I think you should use him anyway. Those are the best referrals because they, they know that I tried, and they know that I put the house out there. Don't get me wrong. I sell most of my listings, but um, I just want them to feel heard and feel that I'm marketing their home properly, and then everything else falls into place. Let's talk about the note, the personal note. It sounds like it's a handwritten note. Yes. That's my strong suit. I do about 25 personal notes a week. Usually, I, I target about five a day. The personal notes are to all sorts of people. After a closing, I always send a personal note to the cooperating realtor that I worked with. If it's a, a title company or a lender that I've never worked before, with before or uh, unusual relationship, I'll send a personal note to them. I always send a congratulation note to the opposite client. So not just my client, but the other client. So if I represent the seller, which is usually the case, I'll send a congratulation note to the new owner saying, congratulations on your new home. You made a great choice. Uh, I think you're going to be very happy here. And my goal to do that is strictly professional. 
uh, it's a professional courtesy to congratulate the new buyer on the house. I'm not trying to steal that agent's client. I'm just congratulating the person. Now, I will say I do get a substantial amount of business because of that, mostly because the buyer's agents are often not in the business anymore when those sellers go to sell their house. And so they think, well, who was the realtor that knew the house best besides my realtor? It was the realtor that had it for sale before. Or sometimes the, uh, the buyer just didn't care for their realtor or whatever. I'm, I'm not intentionally going after other people's clients, but it's a, it's a byproduct that um, is, is not worth ignoring. But I always send a congratulation note to the opposite client. And then that's it. I don't put them on my mailing list. They'll never hear from me again. Just a congratulation personal note. But anyway, we send personal notes on an extremely regular basis. If I see you at the grocery store, I'm going to send you a personal note. If I drove by your house and saw you had these really great Halloween decorations, I'll send you a little note saying, hey, I saw your house. It looks fantastic. I'll, I'll bring my son over you know, to trick-or-treat if you're going to be there. You know, it's just, it's easy. It's easy cake. Oh, and every time somebody refers me, I have one of the people on my team is a referral director. Her job is to help help us get more business and help us take care of our referrals. So we have a very structured plan. If you refer me, I don't care if you're a if you're a client of mine, a handyman, another realtor, it doesn't matter. If you refer me, you're going to get a handwritten personal note with a $10 gift card from a variety of stores that just thanks you for the referral. I promise I'll take excellent care of this client and you know, I'll keep you posted. So I send at least 25 notes a week, and they're easy. It's, it's 11 o'clock in the morning here. I've already sent three today. Are those special note cards made out that already have your company name or your name or information already on it? Or do you put a business card inside of a generic note? A variety of options. Um, I do subscribe to Bikini, so I get a lot of business cards or personal notes through them. Um, however, I do a lot more personal notes than I get from Bikini. So I have um, other personal notes made up with my team's logo on it. Um, but also, if I'm out in the store and I'm at Target, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop in the in the aisle that has personal notes. And if I see a box that I think is, is cute that kind of matches my personality, I'll buy it. But again, I run a Bikini team. So we have an office that, a section in our office that's just filled with um, notes and uh, personal notes that are blank for the agents to take. But I'm, but I'm sorry, inside the, all the notes, uh, we have little stickers that hold our business card in it. Say that last part again. There's a sticker that holds your business card? Inside the personal note, yeah. It's a little sticker that says, I'm never too busy for your referrals, and it's a Buffini sticker. Okay, and so then that sticker, you put half of it on the business card, half on the thank you card or the note card, and that's what holds the business card in? Yes. Is that up in the top part of the flap when you open it up? The business card is up there, or where, where is it located? Usually, yeah, that's exactly where it's a side. If it's a side-opened card, it's on the left side. But yeah, it's just on the opposite side of where I would have written my personal note. You're handwriting all those notes. Are you also hand addressing them, or do you hand that off to someone else to hand address them and send them out? The personal notes are always handwritten by me. We do the monthly mailers to our database. Those are also handwritten, but I have a staff member that handwrites those, but I don't do those. Everything is always handwritten, always. That's critical. So you're handwriting even the addressing of the envelope and the stamping and sending it off? Yeah, that's kind of important. If I'm sending somebody a personal note from me, they'll notice if my 
assistant has handwritten their name on the front of the envelope and that I did the inside. They'll notice that. And they may not, they may not notice that consciously, but it, it'll cross their mind. That personal note, if I want it to be personal, it's coming from me. You said you have a referral plan that you walk through. When you receive a referral, you said a handwritten note with a $10 gift card and a thank you. What else happens in that referral plan? They become part of our parties. If you refer us, you're going to get invited to the party, which is in the fall, and that's where we give away trips. Okay, so they get on the party invitation list. Anything else? No, no. I mean, uh, I will stay in touch with them. If somebody referred me, um, I'll stay in touch with them and say, hey, it's going really well, or, or it didn't work out. Oh, by the way, when we send a $10 gift card and the thank you note, that was regardless of whether or not that referral went anywhere. I mean, I would say I have one person in particular so far this year, she's referred me probably about 18 times, and none of them have panned out. But that doesn't matter. I reward the referral. I thank her for the referral. I want her to continue to refer me. I don't care about the $10 gift cards. They're nothing. They're the pocket change. I want to continue to thank and reward the activity. The results will eventually happen. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You brought up an interesting point. You do follow up to let the referrer know what happened with that transaction it's easy if the transaction went through and it closed. That's an easy conversation. But it sounds like it's often that, for whatever reason, it doesn't occur. How's that conversation go? How do you notify someone, hey, thanks for the referral, but it didn't work out? I'm not going to divulge any private information. Usually, if the referral doesn't go anywhere, it's because the buyer wasn't able to get, or the, the person that wasn't able to get a loan, or the seller decided not to sell. If the buyer or seller that was referred to me decided not to buy or sell, that's easy. Okay, yes, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. Yeah, I always thank them at the very beginning, regardless. So with the follow-up, there's always follow-up. That's what you were asking about. I will follow up and say, thank you very much for the referral. Just to let you know, such and such decided not to buy or such and such decided not to sell. Or if it is that they couldn't get approved for the loan, I might say something a little bit more vague. Just, just, I'm pretty vague, but just staying in touch. That's all that really matters. Once it does close, then I do send another thank you note. Just thank you. By the way, I closed on Jason Song's house. Thanks so much for your referrals because you can't thank somebody enough. You know, you can keep thanking them and keep thanking them. They're not going to say, oh, you already thanked me. So no, I'll just keep thanking them. You've talked about the calls, the personal notes. Let's talk a little more about that Popeye. And you said that, for instance, you bring a, a lawn bag by. You do that four times a year. Does it seem odd to people when you just, do you just kind of show up on their door? Do you call them before you go by? Do they, uh, is it often that they're not there? The Buffini method is you're supposed to call them first and say, hey, I'm going to be in your area tomorrow between 11 and 12. Do you think you'll be home? I don't do that. I don't have time for that. So I try to catch them when they're home. Also, I know these people, so I know their schedules. You know, lawn bags, that's a home thing. So I'm going to take that to their house. Hopefully I'm going to see them. If not, I'll leave it on their doorstep. If I can stop by their office to pop by with a bottle of wine or whatever it is that month, I'm absolutely going to do that. Because when you pop by their office, other people in their office see them. Who is that? What did they give you? Also, 
the Popeyes, the face-to-face Popeyes, they're intended to be polite, nice, and quick. You don't want to sit too long. If I can pop by their work, I'm only going to visit them for a few minutes, and then I gotta, they got to go because they got to get back to work. Same thing goes at home. If I'm going to pop by their home, I always leave my car in the driveway. I always leave the car running, and I always leave the, door, the, the driver's door open. That way I can't, get in, I can't go inside the house. I can't get, they, they can say, oh, come on inside. Oh, well, you know, I've got my car running here. I just wanted to say hi real quick, and, you know, it, it, it's nice and quick. Also, these people, I've been there so many times for the most part, they know I'm coming. They're not, they're not going to, they're not going to close the blinds and say, Oh my God, he's back. They know it's quick and simple. Tim's popping by to say, hi, he's got some cute little item for me. They like that. It's easy. When you do the Popeye and you drop off the gift, do you at that time ask for the referral? No, but I will say I'm never too busy for your referrals or something along like that. Usually it's just I'm never too busy for your referrals. By the way, the, the Popeyes himself here, I'm sitting in a room and I've got a Popeye right here. These are leftovers from the spring. These are a little tiny bags full of flower seeds. And the, the little tag on it says, you and your referrals help my, help my business bloom. Oh, by the way, I'm never too busy for your referrals. And it's got, it's got my business card. It's got this little tag and it's just a cute little gift. And, you know, so they can throw in the garbage and walk the minute I walk out the door. I don't care. But the point is, is that I stopped. I said hi. It was quick and efficient. You know, keeping the, the top of mind. That's what I'm trying to say. I stay at the top of their mind by stopping by and saying hi. Could you give us a couple other ideas for things you drop off? I've heard lawn bags, bottle of wine, flower seeds. Here's more. I'm sitting here. I'm, st- I'm standing in a room with uh, a bunch of our leftover Popeyes. Here's one from uh, an agent on my team, Doug. Uh, it's it's little microwave popcorns, and it says, "I hope you're having a wonderful summer." I'm trying to look for the cute part. Just popping by to say hi. Just popping by to say hi because it's popcorn. There's another one. This is windshield wiper fluid. This and this is another one of Doug's. It's a big bottle of windshield wiper fluid, and it's got a little tag on it. This is a I'm happy to provide great clients like you with a clearer view of your local market. And it's got a windshield wiper with the, the, the windshield wiper just wipes the window away. So it's, you know, making a clear spot in the windshield. And then at the bottom of the tag, it says, oh, by the way, I'm never too busy for your referrals. So it's just usually cutesy things like this that cost us $1 to $2. Um, so we spend a couple hundred dollars a month on it, and we get to stay in touch with the clients. And then last month, we were getting ready for our, our, our client party, which was a pirate theme. So we popped by everybody's houses, and we had um, done messages in a bottle. So they were glass bottles that had about an inch of sand in them, and then they had a, um, an invitation rolled up and tied together inside the bottle, and, when, and then the bottle was corked. And when they opened and they pulled the invitation out, it was a, it was a treasure map taking them to the facility where we were having the party. And you said each of these, there's a card attached, and did you say, also say your business card is attached then as well? Yes. Ah, very good. So they know who it's from if you had to drop it off. And you also said that you do a newsletter. Tell us about the newsletter. Every quarter we have a newsletter that goes out. Um, One of my staff members makes it. It's eight pages. It's uh, high quality. We have it professionally printed. It uh, highlights members of our team. It talks about what's going on that season in the Omaha area. Uh, It talks about working by referral. It talks about our client party. It talks about whatever... uh, donations we're doing that month because we, we, we're always doing donations whether it be we're trying to get money for uh, Toys for Tots or Samaritan's Purse or whatever it is we're always doing donations so we talk about that in there 
and then again, we're a huge team, so we always have something going on. So whether it be our party or or somebody's working at the open door mission, whatever, we always have things going on. And so there's there's always stuff to talk about in that newsletter. In that newsletter, do you list out your current listings, your current properties for sale? No, they come and go too fast. Do you put market statistics in there, say, for the last quarter? No, but we're going to with the next one. Do you have a call to action in there, such as call me to get your home on the market or call for a free market analysis or call me for a free list of homes? No, that's all implied. So it's it's really giving a lot of information about you and your team and distributing that information to your database, to the to the folks that you think will care about you. Yes, but one other thing we do in there is the center page is an updated list of all the vendors that we trust. So our favorite plumber, our favorite handyman, our favorite electrician, home inspector, our babysitter, our tax preparer, everything, all the businesses or people that run businesses that we put our names to are listed on a two-page insert in the center of the center of the newsletter, and we do that with, on a separate piece of paper so that they can take it out and hold on to that. They can read the newsletter and throw it away. That's fine. But we want them to hold on to this list of vendors. We've done a good job of making our clients come to us. We're like the Angie's list. So, you know, They come to us and say, hey, who's the electrician you use? Who's the plumber you use? And, um, and then our, plumber, our plumbers and electricians and our vendors, they know that we do this as well. So they refer us just as much as our, our clients do because they know that they're getting referred. Tim, you also mentioned you have parties and events. What I heard was you have a a large client appreciation party each year and also a pie giveaway. Are there any other events that you're doing? Not officially. We have different agents on the team do smaller ones throughout the year. Like one of the agents on my team, he has poker parties every couple months. The poker parties are for his clients that are also kind of friends. And so we have different agents on the team different, do different things, and then we as a team support them. So uh, if, if Doug is going to have a, a, a poker party and he's going to give away, you know, I'm going to give him 100 bucks to help him pay for the food and the beer. You know? So we as a team will help support each other in, in what they want to do. But, but as a team as a whole, no, our big event is the client appreciation party, which is a big deal. It's a phenomenal deal, possibly one of the best client appreciation parties in the country, I'm quite sure. And then we have the reverse Popeyes, which are the, the pie giveaway. And again, that's a Buffini thing. That's not something I created. We've toyed with the idea of doing it around 4th of July, but we never seem to get to it. So we pretty much just do that around Thanksgiving. When do you do the client appreciation party? It's in the fall of every year because, you know, in the fall, that's when the busiest season is over. And so we're kicking off for two th- for the following year. So we kick butt on making sure it's a rocking party. And then after the party is done, we follow up with calls, notes, Popeyes to our clients to thank them for coming to the party or, or sorry, you, sorry you weren't able to come, whatever. And we use that as leverage for our, the next year. What month do you typically do that in? always in September or October. It depends on the venue and what the venue's options are. We like to be able to go outside, so we try to keep it towards the end of September or the beginning of October. Can you tell us about your client appreciation this year? What did you do? Well, this year was a Caribbean theme, so we held it, we held it at a farm that has a big pirate festival. And so the, the pirate festival, I never even got to go to because I, I was in the party the whole time, so I never left. But um, they had, they had a just a whole festival of pirates walking around at a big ship where kids can play on. They had shows. 
there was classes on how to speak like a pirate. It was just kind of fun stuff. So we paid for everybody to get in the door. We always have a bunch of food. We usually have an open bar, um, although this year we we did a Caribbean-themed drink instead of an open bar. We give away gift cards every five minutes. So throughout the, the party's three hours long, and for throughout the entire party, um, I, wa- I, ha- I have a list of gift cards. And every five minutes, I walk up to the microphone and I just give away another $25 gift card. Then we give away two big trips. The, this year was the Caribbean cruise, two of them. Past years, we've done Disneyland, Las Vegas, New York, Paris, France, Disneyland, Hawaii, and Mexico. So we, we just, we've done all sorts of stuff. It, they're just phenomenal parties. The budget's usually about $20,000 for the party. We usually get between 200 to 300 people. But the best part about our parties is that we don't pay for any of it. Our vendors gladly donate the money to pay for the parties. So we do all the work. We get the people there. We invite our vendors, and then they pay for the whole thing. The vendors are footing the bill. They're financing it. Do you have any type of formal presentation during the event where you get up and speak? And second part of that is, do the vendors have an opportunity to speak or maybe put up a banner somewhere? The vendors do have a table where they can put any any giveaways, paraphernalia, anything they want to give away, they can do that. But at 4 o'clock, I must clarify that we've We've been doing this long enough that we've learned what works and what doesn't work. What works best is Sunday afternoons from 2 to 5. So um, the party starts at 2. At 4 o'clock, we do the giveaway. When we do do the giveaway, all my team stands behind me and I speak. I usually do a little bit of a presentation thanking people um, at the team for coming. Uh, I briefly talk about the team, talk about why we're a team, talk about how we're a team, talk about working by referral. I tell the audience what kind of a year we've had, introduce new people that have come to the team, and then I get into the giveaway because they just, they, you know, they're anxious. They want to see who wins. They want to win. That gives them a reason to stick around. They want to stay around for the giveaway. Yep. How do you do that? Do you, do you put everybody's name in a hat and draw a name? Or do they have to sign in when they first get there? The party, you just get invited to the party. If you get invited to the party, you're in a contest. It's not a reward for your buying or selling or referring or whatever. So every time everybody that walks in the door, they get a little ticket, and they get to go put their ticket in the drawing, and then we give away the two trips. So it's just a ticket with a number on it. They didn't have to fill anything out. You just hand out tickets as they come in. That's a good question. No, they do have to fill out their name because I like to read their name, and they must be present to win. And if they're not present, you pull the next one and they just, they're out. It's never happened. <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it would be. If they're not present, I'm going to move on to the next person. But uh, that's never happened. That gives them a huge incentive to, to stick around to the end. Now, during the event itself, I assume that you're walking around, hobnobbing, meeting, greeting, talking to people. These are all your friends. And you're just going table to table and talking. Yep. Yep. They're just mingling. Just mingling. Yeah, I like to throw parties, you know, personally and professionally. Mingling is easy for me. And, you know, move on to the next person, introduce people. And that's the nice thing about doing the giveaway every five minutes is is that it gave me time to mingle and then go back to my giveaway and then mingle and then go back to my giveaway. So it kept me um, rolling the whole time. It gives you a reason to leave the table so you're not the same table for an hour. Right. That's pretty smart. You put a system in there that, that keeps you moving. People are going to be hearing this. They're going to say, geez, $20,000. Do you see an immediate return of business when you come out of these parties? Well, first of all, I don't pay for it. But even if I did, 
I would still do it. Yeah, because we we do a tremendous amount of prepare, preparation for the party, you know, with calls, notes, and Popeyes to invite them to the party, and we get referrals from that from those touches. And then after the party, we we tell, we follow up. It's so great to see you, or I'm sorry you weren't able to make it, and we still get referrals from those as well. So yeah, absolutely, you know, and it doesn't take that much. You know, you get twenty thousand dollars might sound like a big number, but we're a big team. Uh, you only need three, four, five, five, not even that, three, four referrals, and um, or maybe five referrals, and uh, that pays for the entire party right there. And as you mentioned, you're going to be doing the calls, the notes, and the Popeyes leading up to the event, inviting them, and then after the event, thanking them for being there. So that gives you a reason to contact them for what, maybe two or three months. How far ahead of the event do you start contacting people? About two months. About two months out. Let me rephrase that. We, we prepare people all year long. So like uh, we decided next year's theme is going to be Sea to Shining Sea because it's a political year, so we're going to be embracing our country. So we're going to give away four to five trips next year, and they're going to be trips around our country. We're going to send people to... We're going to send somebody to Mount Rushmore. We're going to send somebody to the Grand Canyon. We're going to send somebody to the St. Louis Arch. We're going to send somebody to San Francisco. We're going to highlight parts of our country. We start promoting that now. So our party just was a week ago, by the way, or two weeks ago. So we haven't finished this yet. But we're going to alter our letterhead and our stationery to show what next year's theme is going to be. And then we kind of ride that theme all year long. I'm sure there's going to be people asking, they want me to go back and ask you about the vendors and the donations. How many vendors do you have donating? Usually about five. There's one in particular that always gives us $10,000, and the rest of it is broken up among the other vendors. Um, but, you know, the funny thing about the vendors is that that was, that was always easy. The very first party we had, the title company that we asked to sponsor our party, it, before the, right after we gave away the, the, the big trips, the title company president walked over to me and he says, I'm in, I'm in forever. He goes, hey, you just tell me how much you need for the rest of the career, your career and I'll pay for the party. And um, because it was such a huge hit. And you know, when you have these, all your vendors there, the party isn't just your party, it's their party too. You know, when my plumber, he, there's people are there that he knows, that knows that because they use this plumber or they use this loan officer. So it's not just our client party, it's their client party too. Also, we're a large team. So uh, we don't just have one loan officer and one title company. We have a variety of them. So this last one, we had three loan officers. We had two home inspectors. Um, we had one electrician and one plumber, but we have multiple of the other businesses. Are these typically then smaller amounts, say $500 from each, and they're all kind of adding up? Or you said you have one for $10,000? How, how do you set the pricing for these vendors? We just ask them. Usually they say to us, how much do you need? And we're like, okay, well, you know, yeah. And so we kind of ballpark it. We'll say you are, well, the one home inspector, for example, uh, this year he's done a tremendous amount of business that we gave him. So we asked him for 2500 And he said, sure, and he wrote a check for 2500 By the way, he doesn't write a check to us. Nobody writes a check to us because we don't want the money. We have them write checks directly to the to the. the the people that we need. So we have one vendor that writes checks directly to pay for the trips. We have another vendor that writes a check directly to the, to the facility that had the facility. So we have them write the check so they get the tax write-offs for having a client party, and we get the benefit of having a party. So you're having them pay the funds directly to the service provider, 
that way there's there's no issue of you being in the middle of that. That's that was pretty smart. So you're doing all the coordination and you're getting the benefit of of running the event itself. It's your list that's being invited. Do the do the vendors invite their sphere of influence or their clients? No. It's just it's because we're the ones doing the work and they're sponsoring our business. We've never had anybody ask. And if they did, we probably would say sure. But um, no, because it, it's really, it's our client party. That's the goal. So we don't have them invite their clients. Do you have any advice for an agent listening who's thinking about putting on their first client appreciation party? What would you tell them? Well, I would say talk to other people that have had them. Um, I would learn from other people's experiences first. I would start off small. We had client appreciation parties that were much smaller before we got into the big trips. And the ones we had, we, we just, we had different vendors give away things. So like we had, a, I think the first year we had our, of the lady that I used to clean houses, I had her give like two free cleaning services. And we had a plumber that did a, a one free plumbing visit for, you know, to fix, to, to fix something, you know, and, you know, and we had, we had vendors kick in services. The vendors kicking in services was free. It was easy. And I would start with something like that and then develop your niche. You know, we've been talking about my business and working by referral, but the reality is the big giant chunk of what I do is run the team. So the team and the parties and we've, we've created something very special and it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes time and it takes energy and being willing to grow and know that what you're doing now may not work forever. And so I, I, I hear people that will say, I want to I wanna have a great client appreciation party. I'm going to have it this year. Well, it's it's kind of hard to, to bite it off all at once. You need to take it in small incremental steps. And I would say take it slow and, and then move on. Let's talk about your team. Could you please outline who's on your team? Twelve full-time agents, including myself. Six staff members. Some of them are selling agents and some of them are not. I have a primary administrative assistant. She's, um, she does all of our paperwork and transactional stuff. She also is licensed and she does real estate sales in the evenings and weekends. So I call her a part-timer, but she's a full-time staff. I have a team manager who helps run the office. One thing that we do differently than most others is we don't just run a large team. I run our own office. Um, so we have our own boutique real estate office in Midtown Omaha. And so Chris helps run the office. He keeps their office hours. And he acts somewhat as a concierge to the team members. If somebody on the team needs a radon mitigation guy, that's not a bad example because I've got lots of those. But, um, but if, if they need a, a contractor or they need help with an open house or they need coverage while they go to their, while they go on vacation and they need somebody on the team to cover their business, Chris is going to be the one to help them. He was the main contact person for our client party. He's our main go-to person when I can't be there. He's not licensed. He's full-time. He's salaried. Then we have a part-time assistant. She's been my part-time assistant for about 12 years. Um, she's elderly. Her name is Shirley. And so now she's gotten to the point where she used to be my full-time assistant. Now she just works about two hours a day. She stuffs envelopes, writes out our mailing list, and uh, makes phone calls. We give feedback on houses we've shown. She calls and gets feedback on houses of ours that were shown. So she's just kind of, you know, two hours a day, just office work. I have a full-time listing assistant um, because that's primarily where my income comes from. So Avi, he's a, he does all my listing work. I list the house. He does all the work behind the scenes. He's also a professional photographer. So he photographs all my listings, and he also photographs all the team's listings. 
Then I have a referral director. Um, she is in charge. We get so much internet business that she's in charge of managing our internet business. And she distributes the leads that we get from internet to the different agents on the team. I personally don't take that business because I do all my business by referral. And then she manages it. She gets feedback on it. She tracks it. Her position's new. So she's now in charge of the client appreciation program. She's in charge of uh, getting all those Popeyes ready. When we have the referrals where somebody refers me and I send them the $10 card, everybody on the team, whenever somebody refers you, we send Erin an email saying who was referred and um, who referred them. She sends out the thank you note, and she tracks the referral. Um, so she tracks all that for us. And then I have a full-time buyer's agent as well. The rest of the team are part-time agents that just do it because they have other full-time jobs. But again, there's 18 of us, and that's pretty much how we do it. Tim, you said that you have a team and a boutique office. Are those the same group of people that we just talked about? Is that the office, or do you have additional people outside the group we just talked to that are, say, working independently? No, it's all us in this office. I have an odd question, but I thought I read somewhere, and maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I read on your website that the company has been around a really long time, like 100 years or something. Is that true? Yes, NP Dodge is the oldest real estate company in the country. It is still ran by the Dodge family, and it is only in the Omaha metro area. They're not looking to branch out. We're not affiliated with any brokerage or national franchise. Tim, you mentioned that one of your big jobs is to run this team, run this mega team. Let's dig into that a little deeper. One of the big questions people have is they're building a team or they run into issues with their team is, how do you find the right people? How have you found the right people for your team? trial and error. <laughs> you know, they're not always the right people. I mean, we, you know, I, I've, I've gotten good at having to let people go, you know, to, to, to fire people. Everybody's different. Everybody has different requirements and needs. I, one thing I think I do do well is that I don't treat any position, any agent, any assistant, I don't treat anybody as permanent. I'm not saying they can't be permanent. I'm just saying I want them to grow and become better. So that agent, uh, Chris, I said he's the team manager and he's not licensed. He's working on getting his real estate license. I think he's going to be a great realtor. I would love to see him grow and become a good realtor and leave the position and become a highly successful realtor. I think that'd be fantastic. And I think that hiring somebody as your assistant or as a staff and thinking they're going to be there forever is it's few and far between. Most people don't want to be an assistant forever. They want to go on and do better things. And I want to help and support them to do so. So, so yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think I have a solution for how to hire the best people. I've certainly made my share of mistakes. I think you just have to always be willing to change and know and grow. You mentioned you have 12 full-time agents. They're working with both buyers and sellers? Yes. How have you structured the compensation for the members of your team that are agents that are working with both buyers and sellers? One thing that I, I think might surprise people is that when I got into this and I started the team, I didn't do it to make money. I did it because I wanted to help my colleagues and I wanted to surround myself with a group of people that did business in the same way I did and took care of their clients and put their clients first. So that said, our commission structure is a sliding commission structure just like the rest of the companies in Omaha. It's pretty aggressive. 
new agents start out at 65%, and then after five transactions, they go up to 70%. And of course, this is of the side that they sell. And then, you know, the more they produce, the higher their commission level goes up. So we ha- and we jump in 5% increments, so it's 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90. So the highest commissioned agent on our team can make as much as 90%. We are a 100% team, which means I pay our, our company a monthly fee to use their name, and then we get the 100% commission. So, but everybody's on a sliding scale, and, and um, we lock them in for two years. So if you, you know, get graduate to the next level, you're locked in for two years. There's, there's no, there's no dropping you down because you had a bad year or something like that. And then if you, if I give you a lead or a, a client, you're going to pay me a 25% referral fee. Um, most of the leads I give are to my buyer's agent, and he pays me a 25% referral fee. Other than that, it, it's just like a regular brokerage. The only difference between one of your agents bringing in their own business and you handing them a referral is that when you hand them a referral, they pay you a 25% referral fee. Yep. And then everyone else, you're teaching them your model as far as referral-only business, and then they can do other things if they choose. Sounds like you're also doing a little bit of internet advertising that's working as well. Yeah, I would say that's about 10% of our business. Big enough that we can't ignore it. It's just not, it's not where I want to spend a lot more of my time and energy and money, but it's, it's there, so we still take advantage of it. I used to do it all myself. I used to get um, all the internet inquiries or leads that would come. I would disperse them to different agents on the team, and I just got too busy. So then I had to I had to hire somebody to help me with that. But there's more than just that. I mean, I get a lot of sign calls, a lot of internet leads on my own because I, I list so many houses. I get a lot of business that way. So whenever I get, uh, whenever I get an, a sign call or an inquiry on one of my listings, I just turn it over to my referral director, and then she disperses that client accordingly. So the referral director is also handing out your referrals to the team? As well as the internet leads that come off of our advertising, yes. It's easier to do it that way because then she manages it. She watches it, she tracks it, and she manages it. And then she gets paid a, a, a flat fee on every sale the entire team makes. So her, so the more the team sells, the more money she makes. Are you profitable? Oh, very. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would you mind sharing with us what your profit margin is? I don't think I could answer the question in the way that you want me to because I don't I don't I don't track things in that way. We like I said we spend extremely little on marketing and advertising. Um, so me, my personal self, you know, I usually make between three to four hundred thousand dollars a year. That's just off my production. The team, that's a bigger producing. You know, it, it, they produce a lot, and um, we have a lot of overhead. We do make money off the team. I don't make that much money off the team. I, I, if, I have hardly any. My, again, my goal with, with the team was never to, be, to make me money or to be profitable for me. It was more helping other agents become good professionals. And so the majority of the money that I make off of the team, I just put it right back in the team. You know, I just, I just invest it right back in it. If I can spend money on more advertising or more marketing or, or more client parties or, I mean, right now we're trying to buy a truck so that we can, you know, you know, buy or sell with us and use the truck for free, you know, that kind of thing. So the more money we make, the more we just sink it right back into it. I don't track it because I don't care. I just want everybody to be, at the end of the day, I want everybody on this team to be here because it's helping them, not because it's making me more money. 
And again, this goes back to the very beginning of this conversation. The more you do the right thing and you help other people get what they want and what they need, it all comes back to you. And yeah, I could make money off this team. I could, I could take all sorts of money off the team, but that's not where my goal is. My, my heart and my head is helping others. And then it all comes back to you in the end. I'm not a businessman. I'm a realtor. And I've got a good system into place. I've got great people to work with. And as long as the bills are getting paid and the retirement's building up and life is good, I'm not really all that worried about it. I'm not trying to turn the Good Life Group into something I can sell and make a million dollars off of. Um, I'm just looking to have a nice environment where I'm surrounded by people and professionals that I like to work with. And the same attitude goes with my, my client database. I only surround myself around people that I like and they like me. And so I think if you, if you go in this with that kind of mindset, I actually think that's also why we're so successful. We're successful because we put our clients and everybody else first. And it's just, it's just a, it's a much easier, relaxed way to live. Tim, what drives you? Helping other people, helping other people. I've seen the results. I've seen how the more you help other people, the more it comes back to you, and that drives me. That gets me excited and motivated. I know that if I were to get sick, or if I were to get, if I were to, if something bad were to happen to me, I know that I would have professionals, colleagues, clients, friends, family come rushing to help me, and that's a good feeling. It's a good feel. I don't feel desperate. I don't feel nervous or scared. I feel like if my business, real estate business collapsed, I could pick up the phone and, and call the people that I've, I've had strong relationships over the years and say, hey, I'm dying. Can, do you know anybody? I, I've never had to do that. I hope I never do. But I know that I've got such good systems in place that the, the people that I've surrounded myself with would come running to my rescue. And, and even though I don't think I'll ever need that, and I hope I never need that, I like living that way. I like feeling like I've helped you when, if I, if, when in need, you'll help me. And um, it's just a good place to live in life, a good, a good way to feel in life. Tim, why have you been so successful? It's just putting other people first. On the front of our door, we have the, the Zig Ziglar quote that says, you get everything in life you want when you help other people get what they want. And I think that is really, really true. And I think it's primal. I think the more you help other people, the more it comes back to you. Tim, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? In this day and age, and I wouldn't have said this five years ago, I would say join the team. I know teams are a buzzword. Teams and groups have become all the rage, but they they provide the structure, the time, the resources that most agents need and crave when they're brand new. Now, that said, I would, do the, I would recommend you do your research and find the right team and the best team. I would pay attention to what the team's motto is and what's their theme. Are they in the team for themselves or are they in the team for, for others? I wouldn't join a team that is named after a lead agent. I personally think that naming a team after a lead agent makes all the other agents feel subservient. So I would make sure to join the team that, uh, that is helping brand you as an agent and not the lead agent. I'm not saying that all of them are bad. I'm just saying that that's my personal taste. But I think the thing that the biggest thing is after you get your, your name out there and after you, you know, you, you know how to write a purchase agreement and you really feel like you, you know what you're doing, I would say develop a niche a niche or a, a theme, whether it be old houses or condos or a specific neighborhood 
or new construction, I don't care what it is, I would develop a niche and run with it and run with it hard because it gives you an excuse to call. And yeah, at the end of the day, I, I probably lose out on a little bit of business because people say, oh, he's just into old houses. That's true. But what I gained from having that specialty has far exceeded anything I would have lost over those years. So I would say to a new agent, once you get going and you feel like you, you know the business, think about a niche, develop a niche and run with it. I had one agent uh, when, I was at, when I first started the team, he came to me and he said, I, I, I'm kind of lost. What should I do? And I told him, I said, you need a niche. Uh, we talked about this. He thought about it for about two weeks, and he came back to me, and he said he was going to specialize in condos. And he didn't just specialize in condos. He took it to the next level. He became the authority on condos in Omaha. He wrote a book about buying and selling condos. He created a website that drove people to condos. He became the number one resource for anybody buying condos. And his heart was, he, was, he wasn't part, he dove into it head first. And uh, seven years later, he's now retired. He, his business was so good that he got so big um, that he started his own franchise, his own company, and he sold it to somebody else. And now he's retired and he is a motivational speaker that travels across the country. Who was that? Steve Tornayton is his name. And he is, he's become one of Jack Canfield's trainers. He, he travels around the country with Jack, Jack Canfield. He used to, be a mem- used to be a member on my team. Yep. Well, Tim, do you think that top agent interviews like this one with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Extremely. I think that you, should, you as an agent should always continue to learn and listen to other people's experiences. There's things that I said today that people are going to roll their eyes and say, oh, yeah, that doesn't work, or whatever. But if, you can, if anybody can gleam a few little pieces of what I have to say or what other people have to say, um, everything counts. That, that, that's the other thing that's nice about this industry is that it's, it's – I wouldn't just say it's always changing, even though it is. But you can never outgrow it. You can never learn too much. It, it's it's – the more you learn and the more you soak it up, the better an agent you're going to be. So I think these are extremely valuable. Well, Tim, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? No, I really don't. I, I think that um, I think you guys have probably listened to me at nauseum here about talking about working by referral. I, I, I feel that it's the best way to do business. It, it's, it, it feels good. It it. It works well. Your buyers and your sellers will understand it. If I couldn't work by referral at this point, I would get out of this career just because it's such a a way to do business. Well, Timothy, you've mastered the buy referral business model, and you've taught your team agents how to do the same. Your success stems from focusing on the basics, calls, notes, and Popeyes. Your persistent daily execution of the three core activities has created a high-profit, revenue-generating machine that works month in and month out. You benefited from coaching and shared the success by coaching others on your team. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who ran an old team in an old market while he moved to a new market to start a new team. Find out who he is on the next Success Call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. 
And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.